0: This emptiness, this unhappy feeling, this frightening feeling for some that their lives are worthless, they have no purpose in life. it's because that person has yet to find any fulfillment in their lives, and if you go to the world and you you can google this, it'll come up I mean. You know, what is the world's answer to this emptiness that we've all experienced at some point in time? Well, their advice, and I'll just give you, because I Googled it, I'm just curious. (laughs) You know, what is the world's answer to emptiness and this void, you know? Well, you need to pinpoint that. Number one, you need to pinpoint the source. Okay, let's work on that. Number two, acknowledge and confront the pain. Okay, okay. Number three, give your life meaning and purpose. Okay. Number four, practice self-awareness as if we needed any more help. And uh, discover your own core identity. And five, practice self-love, which we don't need any help with that either. So you can see it's it's look within. It's just the humanistic philosophy of the world. And uh, can you really... Do you really know where the source of your emptiness comes from? I mean, honestly. You know, you'd like to confront the pain and make it go away. I mean, I don't really see any help here personally. Practice self-awareness, that's the problem. (laughs) I'm fully aware of myself way more than I should be, you know. Do you really know the core of your identity? Do most people even understand that the real person that they're looking at in the mirror is not their real person? But the real person resides inside that body, the soul and the spirit of that being. We love ourselves. There's no man that hated his own flesh. The reason why we're depressed is because we have such high ideals of ourselves. Because we love ourselves and we know that we should be doing better than we really are. Thus we fill this void, we fill this emptiness. This story here, the historical happening, is an illustration of this emptiness that natural man feels and the danger of covetousness that tries to fill that void. Jesus told us that a man's life does not consist of the things in which he possesses. And we've tried to prove him wrong for uh, A couple hundred years in our country, and we haven't yet proved him wrong. Life is empty. You will never get beyond this empty void filling without God in your life, period. That is, you bottom liners, that's the bottom line, right? And so let's take a look at this here uh, in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Now, as he was going out on the road... One came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept for my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, One thing you lack, go your way. Sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now as you read through this particular uh, gospel, um, you, you get a picture of what's going on, but it, it's important to, to read the uh, other gospels that mention this story, and that would be Matthew 19, 16-22, and Luke 18, 18-23. And uh, with these different accounts, you'll and looking at the other Gospels, we can sort of get a you know, a fuller composition of what really was said and what went on. Uh, for example, uh, just by reading Mark, you would not realize that he was a ruler. That's only found in, in Luke's Gospel. Um, you would not know, uh, for example, that uh, he asked Jesus what commandments, particular commandments that he should keep, maybe that he wasn't keeping uh, and then he also asked Jesus there in Matthew's Gospel what he lacked, which are both absent here. So you get a fuller picture of what went on, and uh, you're able to gather a, a good understanding of what happened here. We have this seeker. He was eager. How do we know that? Because he came running. Nobody, The other Gospels don't mention that, that he came running and he knelt down. This obviously, to me, expresses his eagerness. He wanted to know. Uh, he knelt down. So there's earnest sincerity. Uh, you know, maybe he had, no doubt, heard of the ministry of Christ. Maybe maybe it would have heard um, him speaking about eternal life. Um, you know, in the Gospel of John, he's quite pronounced speaking of eternal life. And so maybe he. This emptiness that he was experiencing, he wanted to know a little bit more about eternal life. Um, but this uh, inquiry that he had with Jesus had the emphasis of good, and so he realized that that was his paradigm, his use of the word good. Good teacher, you know, what you know? Deed, what work? What should I do? What good thing you know could I do that would s- ensure my eternal security by and gain eternal life you know there there are lots of reasons why people do good things why people perform good works now there are some who uh, obviously in their misguided hope think that good works will get them into heaven and that's surely a misguided hope and then there are those, those who just are doing it for outward shows so that other people will see what they're doing and you know, give them praise and recognition. And so we don't really know what the motives are for lots of the good works God does. But one of the things that's important to understand is that um, good works cannot get you to heaven. But there are many people who believe this they believe that as long as their good works outweigh their sins and their things that they've done wrong that that would create favor with God when they stand before him on judgment day and nothing could be further from the truth that to think that one man a man could be justified before God by good works is is a fallacy but he did again address Jesus in a respectful way as A good teacher and 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 jesus picks up on this oh okay this guy's got the good thing going on here you know and um why do you call me good only god is good and so this focus on the goodness really is there to i believe show him in the end that his understanding of goodness is not as complete as it needs to be his measure of goodness this rich young ruler was based upon man's standard and jesus wanted to lay raise his standard of goodness to the level that that it needed to be and that is perfection and there's only one who's perfect and complete in goodness there's only one that's beautiful there's only one that's wonderful and that is god only god alone is good and this was not the perspective that this young man had And so in order to break him down, he began to ask him questions. Now, this is an important thing. We've mentioned this several times. You can't miss it when you go through the gospel. Jesus asked a lot of questions. And questions are good um, because uh, you really want to understand. You ask the question of a person who's asking you a question. You return a question because you want clarity. You want to make sure that you understand what they're really asking. And so Jesus, uh, again, asked questions. Sometimes he just wanted people to think. And so the questions were just provocative in nature to cause people to think. You know, I don't know about you, but uh, generally speaking, we're intellectually lazy. Uh, if, you know, when my, they don't do this now, but when they were younger, my kids, "Why, well, Pop, where's that scripture in the Bible? You know, and I'm you know, i in the Bible a lot, so you kind of remember things pretty easily when you've been in it for a long time. And so you just, you know, I have a tendency to just blurt it out if I knew it. Uh, but that was really a disservice to my children in reality. They should, well, you go look it up so that you know where it's at. But, you know... Um, we just, we're just lazy. We want to just... Why put forth the effort when I can just ask you, you know? And now we don't have to ask anybody. We can just ask Siri, because Siri knows everything. Sorry. I mean, <laughs> yeah. kind of scares me, actually. Well, Siri does. Um, she doesn't know everything. And if you like talking to... Fa- <laughs> yeah. Fake, fake intelligence, right? Our intelligence. On a computer. So, coming down to uh, what's going on here is that most of us, generally speaking, come to God, come to Jesus out of need. Now, this guy's got a lot going on in his life already. In fact, he's he's got what the world longs for. He's rich, he's young, and he's in charge. I mean, what more could you possibly want? <laughs> but he, he had, having it all in a materialistic culture wasn't sufficient. He still had something that he lacked. Because, how do we know that? Because that's what Matthew says. What, what do I lack? He wouldn't be running to Jesus, getting down on his knees and asking the good teacher about this unless there was something missing in his life. He had a religious spirit about him. And a religious spirit is one that knows the scriptures, understands them in truth, but doesn't really apply them to his life. A religious spirit is used by people to a lot of times gain something or to control others. It's not really interested in being transformed into the image of Christ at all. And... So it appears to me that this fellow had been, you know, contemplating this issue for quite some time. I mean, to acquire what he had acquired at that early age of life, a young man, uh, leadership, influential in the community and all, and still have his health. My goodness, he's got everything going for him, you know. Got the world by the tail, so to speak. But no doubt he was aware of his mortality. You know, there's something there. There's not a confidence that what, when I die, you know, what's going to happen. He could easily secure his earthly wealth, but he could not secure his eternal destiny. That escaped him. And this guy is not a guy that's used to defeat. This is a guy that knows how to get what he wants, probably a type A guy. He's going out there, and he knows what he wants, and he's going out there to get it. But this has eluded him. This he has not found. He's probably wondering, have I done enough to avoid that place that Jesus has been talking about and that place in Sheol, hell? Have I done enough good to avoid the flames of hell? Now, No one is good enough by works to avoid that destiny of hell. Most people think that the default position when they die is heaven because we all think we're good. That's be, as I said before, that's because we have the wrong standard of measurement that's being employed. The default position for all mankind is separation from God. We're all lost. We're on our way to hell. And we need to be delivered. Delivered. We need to be saved. Now, that's blunt, and that's forceful, but it's the truth. And and one must realize where he is headed and headed for danger before he'll redirect his course. If you think you can be saved by good works, then you're not going to change. You're going to just continue to do what you do. But if you realize your good works are not sufficient, then you're going to repent. Well, let's do the thing that will change the course. I don't want to go to that place. I want to go to heaven. Now to the unbeliever, this is foolishness. To think that Jesus died on a cross to forgive our sins. Why would he submit to these Wicked people and surrender after all the good he'd done. Why would he surrender to these wicked people and allow them to stick nails in his hands and in his feet and mock him and and all that they did to him? they don't understand the problem of sin. This is the problem and this is the breakdown of every earthly religion that there is. It's man's attempt to reach God. And none of these religions have any way of making atonement in in a correct way. They're all works-based, actually, if you look at them closely. One must do th- thus and so, and then if we do that, we hope that we'll have eternal bliss. But it's not they don't address the issue of sin. The, the foolishness is, how could his death provide the forgiveness of sin? And they're... And simply, it's this simple. Mankind thinks that God is like us. They don't understand his nature. They don't understand the holiness and the purity, and the beauty of God. And he created us that way in innocence. And according to the scriptures, we understand how we got into this predicament. Our first parents rebelled against his sovereign rule and in doing doing so incurred an eternal debt before God the soul that sins shall die they were commanded not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they rebelled against that command and partook after being tempted by the enemy and now God performed something in front of them to show them that they could not cover themselves. They ran to the bushes and hid themselves and covered themselves with fig leaves. man was always trying to cover up his shame, trying to cover himself. And the Lord, as we know, took a lamb, a beast, showed them the sacrifice that was necessary to provide a covering for their sin, and then he clothed them. With his the clothing from this sacrifice. Those were pictures and types of what Jesus Christ Himself would do. And now Jesus, having dyed his blood, life is in the blood. And so a life had to be sacrificed. In the Old Testament, that shedding of blood was a covering for sin. It did not remove it, it just simply covered it. But it was a shadow and a type of the blood that would come to It would be shed through Jesus upon the cross. And that blood would take away sin forever. As far as the east is from the west, the power of the blood of Christ removes our sin to a place that God drops it in the sea of forgetfulness not to be remembered anymore. God does not remember the sins of the repentant sinner. The one who turns to God will surely be forgiven when they turn in sincerity and humility. What God gives to you when you turn to Him and ask for forgiveness is the gift of righteousness. He takes your sin and exchanges it for His righteousness. That you now, because you believe on Jesus, stand in a state of righteousness before God. You are justified from your sins. God treats you just as if you'd never sinned because of what Christ has done. What a beautiful gift! Now, from where we come from, and where most people come from, a gift is not something you earn. If your children try to pay you, which you might appreciate, but you would never receive it, try to pay you for the Christmas gifts that you give them, or the birthday gifts, that would be, actually, you'd be insulted. You might think you've overspent for them, but nonetheless, it's insulting to... Someone's trying to give you a gift from their heart because they love you, they appreciate you, they want to show this, demonstrate it to you, and they give you this gift and then you try to pay them for it. That's not how it works. So so earning your salvation through good works is an insult to God. He wants to give you a gift. You don't have to earn it. You just simply open your heart, open your hands, lift them to heaven and say, Lord, I'd like to receive that free gift that you're offering to me in the person of Jesus Christ. When one does that in sincerity, he's born again, made new. It is that simple sincerity and faith towards God that he's asking for. But in verse 17, this fellow is still asking, you know, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, I want you to pay attention to the personal pronouns here. What shall I do <laughs> that I may inherit eternal life? See, it's, it's not about us at, that, at this point. It's all about what God has done. It's not what we can do for God. It's what He has done for us. You see, that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Religion is man's attempt to God. Christianity is God's, attempt to reach man it's what God has done in the person of Jesus Christ that makes all the difference there's no religion no work that can make your spirit alive no man can save himself can you save yourself from the grave no man can save himself the spirit of religion will save no one your goodness will add nothing in your standing before God because you are not perfect I am not perfect I must receive this gift I find it really interesting as you read through the scriptures and this is here as well God always comes to us on the level of our understanding this guy came on the level of goodness ok let's talk about good you know there's you consider me good good You see all these good works, these miracles, but in reality it is God that is only good. But let's look at the good commandments. You see this guy in his attempt to receive eternal life or find out how to get eternal life was expressing his self-righteousness. These I have kept, I have kept from my youth. Well you know the commandments as Jesus said Adult don't do it commit adultery murder steal he went through the list there the second tablet and according to Matthew's gospel 19 chapter 19 verse 18 he says well which ones so Jesus laid these particular commandments out for him to the self-righteous jesus brought the law because if you are intellectually honest with yourself as you read through the ten commandments you realize "Uh (laughs) uh-oh i'm guilty as charged but if you're self-righteous well i i'm doing this outwardly but you're not really reflecting on what's really in your heart like when you look at a woman and lust after her according to jesus you're committing adultery but I'm not doing the physical act, so therefore I'm, I'm righteous. Now, these are the kinds of things that uh, were easily overlooked by people who were self-righteous. Paul made a list of those things uh, that he, would, as a Pharisee, would see himself as righteous. But when he got to uh, thou shalt not covet, it, he realized he was guilty because every man Every woman, every one of us, at some point in time, are guilty of covetousness. We want something other than what is really good for us. But he is saying, I have kept these. Whoa. Maybe in outward appearance, but in heart attitude, you're self-deceived. If you think you have kept the law perfectly, and I'm speaking to anyone here or online. If you think you have kept the Ten Commandments perfectly, you are self-deceived. We're all, as the Bible says, all men are liars. And so we have lied. We have put things before God. We've broken the Ten Commandments. And if you're self-righteous, the law is there to break you down, to realize you need to humble yourself before God and come as a child. It's not the outward demonstration of would-be obedience, but the inward attitude of brokenness in heart before God. Stop using the standard of men and start using the standard that has been set forth in Scripture, that of perfection, without blemish, without spot. In fact, the Bible has much to say about our self-righteousness, doesn't it? Isaiah 64, 6. But we are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. We're just flying in the wind. We have no stability. We have no idea what lies on the other side of death's door. We need God in our lives. And if this guy had it all—riches, youth, authority—why is he asking Jesus, "What do I lack?" See, there's just get real with yourself, right? That's one of the things we talked about yesterday in the men's study. You know, we and any of, some of you've heard this before. Sorry, I'm going to say it again. We all have this conversation going on in our head pretty much continuously. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm crowding in on that conversation right now and some of you, right? But we have this inner conversation going on with ourselves. You know, for some of you, you you've got to find somebody with some intelligence to talk to, right? <laughs> but in reality, it's just the way we are. We're always thinking. We're always having this little thing going on, so don't think that you're losing your mind. Everybody does it. Some people just get a little verbal and they talk out loud. (laughs) And I don't need to hear some of that, right? (laughs) And you may not want to hear it, right? But we have this conversation going on. And the most important thing about that conversation that's going on in your head is that you tell yourself the truth. Don't lie to yourself because you'll be self-deceived. That's what self-righteous people do. They just lie to themselves and they comfort themselves in their own lies, but it brings no security to them and there's still this empty void because only God can fill that. You know, I've got everything that life could offer at this point, but I don't have something, something's missing. Maybe Jesus can show me. Maybe Jesus can tell me. Well, before he can really receive the truth, he's got to be broken down. He's got to see himself as God sees him. An empty destitute sinner in need of forgiveness that is the greatest need of all mankind the need for forgiveness and so the only way to do that is to present the law to him but he went on to justify himself these i have kept from my youth did he really keep them can can keeping the commandments of the 10 commandments get you into heaven you know, as James said, he who breaks the law in one place is guilty of all. Well, I mean, that's exactly what it, that's exactly the the response we should have when we realize that truth. If if we've broken one commandment, we've broken them all, in a sense, and then that leaves you in a hopeless state of lostness, and in that state of brokenness, when you cry out. God is all over that. He, you've got his full attention. It's what I was looking for, son. Just a simple acknowledgement that you need forgiveness. That's the common thing that everybody in heaven has. The common thing is that we're, everybody in heaven has been forgiven. And nobody in that place is without it. It's a wonderful thing. And so... The standard of God remains. It is the goodness of His goodness imparted to us as a gift of righteousness that gives us the ticket in to paradise. When we look at the law, just a reminder, there's the one law that had the relationship with God. We've broken those commandments too because we've put things before God. Idolatry. Idolatry. And then the second table of the law was our relationship with fellow man. So Jesus sort of summed up this whole thing with the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And the law is based on love. If you wanted to distill the truth of what the Bible is saying through the law, it is that, to love God and to love your fellow man. And you don't do activities that offend God. Or offend your fellow man. If you, in the Old Testament, did offend God and did cross the line in sin, you went to the tabernacle and offered sacrifice. And if you offended your brother, did something harmful to him, then you would make restitution for that. That's how it works. The law is to love, summed it up by love your neighbor as yourself. You know, well, would you want someone to do that activity to you? And if the answer is no, then don't do it to him. You know? But if we have done that, then we need to, to make it right with our brother. Otherwise, guilt remains. And so, just an important part to understand the critical use of the law in ministering to others. So what is the thing that this man should do? I think he's sincere in asking this. I don't think he's digested everything that Jesus has presented back to him in, re- in regard to the commandment. I don't know if he still sees that. There's a blindness that remains with the person of a religious spirit. But the people were very curious about that because Jesus' teaching was so different than the scribes and the Pharisees. And so the people came up in John uh, 6, 28. And they said, what must we do to do the works of God? If it's our works that don't get us there, well, what do we do to be right with God? And he made it very simple. Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. When you believe that Jesus is the answer to your void, that Jesus Christ will fill the emptiness that's in your soul and in your spirit, and you call upon his name, he will fill. He will come. You have done what was sufficient to be received into the kingdom. The answer is simple. It is just simple, childlike faith in Jesus Christ. This man had let things become his idol. His success, his wealth, his influence were idols. He had placed them before God. He considered himself self-righteous, therefore his emptiness remained. You see, we're physical beings that are satisfied by the senses in this life and the physical things that, that we can experience here. But that has... No way of touching our soul and our spirit that are immaterial and of a different nature. We need spiritual enlightenment and we need to be made alive through the presence of God. And this can only come through the forgiveness of sin. Nothing else can produce life. So it isn't about doing the good thing. It is about believing in the right person. And having done so, you may be saying, thinking, well, where do good works come in? Aren't aren't Christians do-gooders, you know? Aren't we supposed to to do things? Absolutely. We're not working for salvation. We're working out of our salvation because God has changed our life. And now he's allowing us to do the things that need to be done to make this world a better place. has nothing to do with determining our eternal destiny has everything to do with our relationship with God because he's telling us to do it, to represent him accurately, truly. Your works demonstrate your faith. They don't produce your salvation. And so Jesus there in verse 21 looked at him and loved him. This is the beautiful thing about God. Though we are self-righteous, we are filthy wretches in His eyes. We don't consider one another that way because we're all kind of all in the same boat, right? But God still looks upon us with intense love. His love is so intense. Here's what you lack. Isn't it amazing? I find this so amazing how God can speak to our spirits. Sometimes without words. Lots of times without words. We just get this impression that this is the deal, right? It just sort of comes to us. And, and he can tell us exactly our issue. And all we can do is go, oh, he's right. Oof. And it, it's, it's not something we necessarily we want to hear. But we receive it because we know it's true. It's like, yeah, that's right. It's when it, that's the kind of God we serve. It's you know what do I lack? And well, here's the, the one thing you lack: this, the stuff, your position, your influence, is in your way. It's in the way of what I want to do in your heart. And if you want to f- be free, then get rid of it. Give it to somebody else who can use it. You'll. God won't forget what you've done. You'll have a treasure in heaven. Take up your cross. Die to self. When Jesus Christ calls a man, this is real popular. This is one of the most popular things Jesus ever said. Come follow me. If, if you want to come and follow me, you're going to have to die. Die to self. Take up your cross. Oh yeah, okay. Where do where do I get the nails? You know. Nobody wants to die to self. It's the opposite of our natural interests. We're selfish. This guy was selfish. Self-righteous. Full of himself. That's what he was lacking. He was lacking God in his life. But he thought he could obtain God and eternal life through his actions. And Jesus loved him and said, look, remove this obstacle. Remove this idol. And the and this truth remains even in the life of those who have been converted. We still have this tendency, a natural tendency to put stuff before God. Well, as soon as I get to this stage in my life, then I'll sell out for Jesus. But first, I need to get married, I need to have kids, Then I need to have an empty nest, and I need to have my, you know, Retirement completely fixed and settled, then I'll serve God. We don't ever say that, but our actions seem to indicate that's what we're, have, that's what we're doing. So it's just a reminder and encouragement to the degree that we put off those things. And allow Jesus to be first is to the degree that we will lack nothing and be filled with His presence. You see, that is the greatest experience that we can have in life. It isn't how much treasure we can heap up on this earth. It's about how close we can get to God. It is how we allow God's presence to flood our souls and to fill our lives. And you, what you'll find if you commit to that kind of living, is he'll give you all the other stuff. You look at Abraham. You look at Job. These guys, God was number one in their life. He had an awesome, you know, to be called the friend of God, Abraham. I mean, the guy was wealthy beyond words. Thousands, of, you know, hundreds of servants and thousands of livestock, you know. But that wasn't what his life was about. His life was about walking with God. And so God has a way when the priorities are correct and right to give you the desires of your heart. And so this is what faith is all about. But this guy had trouble receiving it, unfortunately. And many of you may have trouble receiving this this morning. And some of you online are going to have trouble receiving this. But you need to receive it. Because if you do, the void in your heart will be gone. That which is lacking in your life will no longer lack. You'll be satisfied with the Lord Jesus Christ. This guy rejected his words and he turned away and he was saddened by the words that he heard. He asked for the truth. He received, he heard the truth, but he didn't receive the truth at least at this point. Now I got a feeling <clears throat> this wasn't the last thing that happened in this person's life. He probably figured it out. How many people would really have an encounter with Jesus and leave the same, right? You just got to believe that when Jesus looked at him and loved him, who then not get you? He looks at you. He looks at me. He looks at the world and he loves us. You can't beat the love of Jesus. You just can't. He may have initially rejected, but you've got to believe that the Holy Spirit was working on this guy, just like the Holy Spirit's working on some of you. You've heard the gospel. You've resisted it. But it's time for you to stop resisting. It's time for you to deal with this lack in your life and surrender yourself to Jesus Christ. I'm going to take this time to give you an opportunity to do that. It's very important. that It's the most important decision you can ever make. If man gained the whole world and lost his own soul, what would it profit him? What would you give, as Jesus said, in exchange for your soul? Is there anything on this earth that is worth trading eternity for? Think not. Think about how much God loves you and how much God cares. And for those of you who may be listening online, I'm going to lead you in prayer. And I want you to pray this prayer after me. And in sincerity, if you receive the words, the Spirit of God will come upon you and there'll be a transformation, there'll be a change that takes place inside you it is so simple when it is done in sincerity dear Lord I know that I'm a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sins I'm asking you to wash me in the precious blood of Jesus Christ so that I might be free from my sin I desire to live in heaven with you I want you to write my name in the Lamb's book of life. I want to live in eternity with you. Come into my life, Lord. Wash away the sin. Wash away the emptiness. Fill me with you. In Jesus' name. A simple prayer along those lines is all that's needed to secure your salvation. And if you do that, and if you have prayed that in sincerity, your life will change. If there's no change in your life, then your sincerity level, your earnestness, is there real brokenness? Have you really knelt? Have you come running to Jesus and knelt at His feet and asked Him? Sometimes it takes desperation. It takes a deep inner search within to know that you need God in your life and to live without Him his futility. As we close here, what's important for you what's important for me is that God? we know that God loves us. That no matter what happens to us, good, bad, tragic, blessing, that God will never cease to be with us. He's always with us. He, is not for, he will not forsake us. He will not leave us here as orphans. He looks at us as he, looks at, as he looked at this young man, and he loves us, and he knows what's best for us. I've been taught by my pastor that it's important to speak of difficult things. I was taught not to think people are more spiritual than they are, because if you do, you'll never meet their need. Jesus spoke the truth in love to this young man and he planted a seed that I think <coughs> I think grew and initially not that's my hope I'm, I'm Pollyannish about things like this I always hope for the best but that's God that's the spirit of hope that he's given to us shall we stand and close in prayer Father thank you for your word Thank you, Lord, that you demonstrate your love. There's nothing greater for us to experience than your love. And you didn't condemn this man for his self-righteousness or his sins. There's one that condemns us already. It's the law. You didn't come to condemn us. You came to save us. And so, Lord, save us. Forgive our sins, Lord. We are sinners. Wash us clean. Wash us in the precious blood every day, moment by moment. Keep us in that place of brokenness before you, Lord. Because we want to be filled. Filled with you. Filled with your goodness. In Jesus' name.